There's a lot of crazy things happening in our world, amen? Yeah, um, I don't know. Everything that's not nailed down is shaking loose. That's why you want to make sure you're on the solid rock. Um, but uh, here we are. So find Romans chapter 1. We read this whole passage earlier. We're going to be looking at verses 16 and 17. But um, here we are, all of a sudden, a little more than two decades no, no. Yeah. A little more than two. What? A little more than two decades into the second millennium since Christ ascended back to the Father's right hand with the promise of his physical return one day. And doesn't it not seem like everything's moving at a bit of a faster pace? These days than ever before. Uh, for most of these 2,000 years, life on earth has kind of continued along uh, much the same as it had for some time. But in the past 150 years, we've gone from horseback to trains. I read a thing, and it was in like the 18. 40s or 50s, I can't remember the exact year, but was reading the writings of, and this guy was a preacher, and was talking about the trains and the idea that the fear, you know how we have all these fears? They had a legitimate fear these trains were going to go 50, maybe 60 miles per hour. Well, the fastest people had traveled would be on horseback, Right? And you know how when you're riding a horse and into the wind, you know, it's kind of hard to breathe because the wind hitting you. They actually were concerned that human beings traveling at, at speeds higher than like 40 or 50 mile an hour could die of asphyxiation. They wouldn't be able to. If you were traveling that fast, you would not be able to breathe. That was a real fear that that. And, and you know, uh, some of you, man, you prove that before you get home. Dude, that's not true, man. You're moving it anyway. Uh. So we went from horseback to trains, and Daryl remembers most of this, by the way. Uh, just thought I would, and, and Wayne too, yeah. Uh, but uh, went from horseback to trains, then to automobiles, then to airplanes, to supersonic jets and satellites, and space travel. To practically the whole world now being connected by the internet. I mean, 31 years ago when we first moved here, there was no internet. There might have been somewhere, somehow, but no, there really wasn't. It hadn't happened yet. Um, not a single one of us had a cellular phone or a mobile phone in those days. A few years later, we got a few bag phones circulating around. Remember that? <laughs> so, uh, you know, those, were, those were, were good days because, you know, and... and and many of us here grew up with the, um, I'm going to get off track, I'm sorry, but grew up with the, you know, the party line. I mean, when I first moved here, uh, a lot of people, unless you lived in town, you still had a party line. Now, young people here have no idea what we're talking about there. That's where you shared your phone line with everybody else. I grew up that way. There was like three or four of us on there, you know. Uh, your, your ring was so many rings, you know, and the neighbors and all that. And then, you know, I couldn't talk to, when I, when I couldn't talk to my girlfriend without Granny or Meemaw listening in on me because their houses weren't too far away, you know. And we were all on the same party line. 
Uh, so we had that going on even all just when we were here. And, but in those days, though, you had you had to be connected to your phone, right? And it had a cord, and uh, we didn't have that long a cord on our one home phone. So uh, when mom was on the phone, of course we acted up because she couldn't reach us. But if she ever dropped that phone, you were in big trouble, big trouble. And she got one of those extra long cords at one time so she could. Have you ever been whopped over the head by, a, by one of those old phones, anybody? Just, just asking, just asking, no reason why. But all of this has happened. And uh, by the way, the first iPhone. Now, I can remember thinking, how are we going to carry like the Internet and all that around with us wirelessly? Because, you know, in, for a long time, we just had dial-up Internet here uh, in, in our town. But uh, the first iPhone wasn't introduced till 2007. Well, for a lot of us, that just seems like the other day. And now, think how fast things have moved in the past. We talk about the past 100 years, 150 years. Think about the last 10 years, how things on the whole world scene has changed. Are you with me here? Yeah, we're going somewhere with this, I hope. Anyway, well, let me ask you this. Have things on the whole worldwide stage changed radically in the last one year? Oh, yeah. Yes, it has. Could it be? Could it be? I have to ask myself, and I'm asking you too to ask yourself. I'm not asking you. I'm asking myself, and I'm asking you to ask yourself. Get it? Okay. That We're asking ourselves, could it be that things are moving faster and faster because we're getting closer and closer to the very end? And as the momentum is growing, uh, and with all the emotions and the divisions being fueled by social media, and uh, anything that you want to believe, you can find support for it out there somewhere. Any crazy thing or whatever. Uh, so with all of that happening all around us and in the world today, um, there are th- these are different days. And what we're seeing happen in our nation, these are different days. I mean, our nation has been through some stuff. I mean, I finished not long ago reading some uh, books about through the, coming through the Civil War and, and uh, about the Lincoln presidency and things like that. Uh, yeah, there have been some tough times, but not on the social media scale that, this, that things are these days. We live in different times. Um, and uh, it's easy to get caught up. And all this stuff going on. It's easy to get distracted with everything going on. It's easy to get caught up in various causes and various agendas. It's easy even for the church to get caught up in so many things that we lose our focus. And we're talking about keeping Christ at the center. But we also need to keep the gospel as the focus. Now last year, little did we know all was going on. 2020. And uh, preachers everywhere were preaching, 2020, you know, it's the year of vision. Our word for the year is vision, 2020. I didn't do that because everybody was doing it. I said focus. And man, did I not focus like I needed to last year. So I want to back up and start over. We don't get a do-over, do we? But I want to, I, I just feel the Holy Spirit drawing me to this, that we need to focus on the Lord. We need to focus on the gospel. We need to focus on the reason why we are here. Um, and uh, so uh, it, it's, it's, listen, it doesn't matter what all is happening around us. It's what's happening in us that is most important. We get all focused on the wrong things. 
uh, Christ should still be the center, and the good news, the gospel, still the focus. Now, Jesus asked, so that's what this is right here. You see the gospel. Everything else is kind of blurry. We've got the gospel in focus here. Um, so, uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, but remember what Jesus said? It's so easy to be distracted, and I feel like a lot of the problems, and you know, we want to, as Christians, we want to blame, you know, uh, our government, United States, for all these different, you know, all the different problems and things, but the problem is, is we really haven't made the impact that we should be making. We haven't been salt, and we haven't been light, uh, and we haven't shown the love of God and the truth of God and the holiness of God and all those things to the people around us. We like to holler, and we like to shout, and we like to carry signs, but, but, but are we really living it in our lives, you know? Uh, the thing about it is, is I like to be places and see the Ten Commandments posted. But you know what's more important than that? It's for people to see them coming out of our lives. See, it's easy to talk about things, but it's different living things. And I think the world really needs to see the real thing coming through our hearts and our life. We need to have that focus of the gospel. Here's what Jesus said. And when he's talking about uh, those days coming here, when he comes back, he said in Matthew 24, verse 45, says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them food at their proper time? In other words, the servants that I've left to take care of stuff and to do the things that need to be done. Who is the one fulfilling the work the master gave them? It's the one, he says, who the master, when he comes back, he finds them so doing. He says, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And my question is, what is he going to find us actually doing? Are we being faithful to what he called us to do and what we are supposed to do? So we need a call to focus on the real and the eternal reason why we're here. To receive and to share God's good news. That's it. He's not sending the angels to do it. He's sending those who have received that message and whose lives have been radically changed by the power of God to be the very ones, messed up people as we are, transformed by the grace of God to be the ones to share that light and that focus, that truth to the world around us. And I find in Paul's declaration here in this chapter uh, several pieces of advice that I pray I can grasp today and hopefully you can too. Now, that first verse we're going to look at is verse 16. Paul says, I am not. Now, think about it. He's talking to Christians who are in Rome. Paul didn't start that church in Rome. And there's no history that we can find that says Peter started it or ever pastored it. So more than likely, these were believers who had been other places, heard the gospel. They go back to the hub of the world at that day. And I mean, you know, we think we see crazy things going on in our culture and society. Nothing compared to ancient Rome and what was going on there. I mean, and Christians were uh, hated by religious people. Paul says that the gospel is a stumbling block to the Jews. And he was a guy that had stumbled over it himself, over Christ, over the cross. He wanted to stay just focused on the law and the rules. And he finally realized there's no way I can do those rules. I need God's grace. I need Christ. And then to the Greeks or to the rest of the people, they just seek wisdom. And so it seemed like foolishness to them. Same thing today. I mean, if you really are letting the light shine through you, there can be religious persecution coming from the legalist. And then there's persecution coming from the world that thinks y'all crazy. But Paul said he felt both of them. So Christians were hated by the religious establishment, especially the Jews, and they were hated by the Romans because they didn't understand them. But yet, Paul says, I want to reach every 
barbarian? Now, see, if he'd have wrote that now, somebody would have been offended. He'd call me barbarian. Basically, that was anybody uh, who spoke a different language than Greek. A bar, 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 bar. Yeah, that's kind of the way the, the you know, the, the, the word is in the original language. It's just, you know, somebody who speaks a, a language you can't understand. Um, and so whether it's, it's, it's Greeks, whether, whether it's Jews, whether it's barbarians, whether it's Romans, whatever. He said, I want to make an impact with the gospel. Now, a lot of these people look at life totally different than I do, Paul realized. But he wanted to have that opportunity to share God's love, God's hope, God's truth with them. And uh, that's the whole point. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Why? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So here's a few things I'm just going to throw out there. Are you ready? God help us to remember this uh, in the days ahead. Okay, so first thing is to hold fast to God's word. That's one of the big things that we need to do in keeping our focus on the gospel is to hold fast to God's word because he tells us in verse 1, the origin of the gospel. The origin of the gospel. He says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. It's God's gospel. It's God's good news. And then he said, uh, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So all the Holy Scriptures was really about preparing us for the good news. For the gospel. He told it ahead of time through the, in the scripture, he says. And uh, so Paul says he was set apart for the good news. That was the whole reason why I'm here, he says. And it was God's word promised to us ahead of time. So the whole Bible, folks, is actually about the gospel. That's what he's saying there in verse 1. Did you know that? The whole, and somebody once said this, in the Old Testament, we see the gospel concealed. And in the New Testament, the gospel revealed. It's all there. And it has been grafted for us. That word scripture is the Greek word graphe. And when you really you know, want to put something down where you can not only hear it, but you can visualize it, you graph it. We use that word in our language today. There came a point that God said, I want my word graphed. I want it put down, put down. Instead of just the prophets sharing the truth of God as it had been from Adam and Abel, Enoch. All the way down Abraham, on down till the time of Moses, God said, I want it put down. I want you, Moses, to write this down. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, books of Moses. Moses wrote these down. God said, I'm going to start it off here. And he carved off the Ten Commandments with his own hand in the stone, remember? But God inspired his word so that when it was recorded by man, it was exactly what God wanted. And not only has he done that, he's preserved it for us today. He's given us his word. And we have to hold on. It's the only thing that we have. It's the only shred of good news that we actually have in this world. And I've heard things that I thought was good news here. But it turns out not to be so good news after a while. This is good news that never fades this is good news that never fails. It's so good, it blows everything else out of the water. And I'm telling you, people really need real good news today. Not other stuff. That's what they need. The gospel. The word of God. Hold fast to the word of God. Uh, the word of God was written. 
over a, do you realize over a, you have to say this, and he even, you know, talked with people, and of course Josh McDowell and others have helped us with this, uh, of, of getting people who are thinking people to think about this, that you might want to lump the Bible in with just other interesting books, but you have to, if you're a thinking person, you have to look at it and say, this book, you have to at least say it's unique. You at least have to say it's different than everything else. At least that's a starting point, right? I mean, this book, and it's 66 little books, divided into an Old Covenant, New Covenant, New, Old Testament, New Testament, was written over a span of 1,500 years. More than 40 different authors from every walk of life. Some were paupers, some were kings. Three different continents and in three different languages. God used over that span of time to compile his word, and yet it speaks with absolute harmony from beginning to end. Now, a lot of us uh, grew up a lot alike and see things alike, but there's very few of us could write on anything without, without disagreeing with each other. Yet here in this book here, we have the whole thing laid out over all those years, different languages, one message as we see it unfold. There is nothing else like that in the universe. At the very least, you have to say this is unique, nothing like it. And it's been translated into our language with many good translations and preserved for us today. And we're trying to make sure everybody that speaks any dialect anywhere on planet Earth has a copy of this that they can read, they can see, they can hear. That's part of the mission work we're involved in, that people get the Word of God. And Paul was not ashamed, even though the Greeks thought it was foolishness, to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. And even though he was persecuted and he was slandered, he wasn't ashamed of the gospel because he knew the origin of the gospel. But not only did he know the origin of the gospel, he also understood the operation of the gospel. Did you see it there in our text? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says in verse 1, it's the gospel of God. For it is the power of God. <laughs> it operates under the power. It's not, it's not just religion. It's the power of God himself. Why would anybody need to be ashamed of the power of the creator God who is over all things? And by the way, the gospel is not a self-help message. But, you know, there's a selfish part of us. We kind of like to be in control ourselves. You see it. You see that corrupt, that, that fallen human nature coming out even as babies, right? You don't have to. And that's the thing, we see that sinful nature is there, it is inherited, it is passed down. We're all sinners by birth, we're sinners by nature, we're sinners by choice at some point, right? Because we all do it. Uh, but you see that in, in how, you know, you don't have to teach the kids how to pull hair, bite and pinch and, and take things away from others. You know, like we're like animals, if it wasn't for the gospel. I tell you what, it's been said that, you know, if, a, if, a, if a, like an 18-month-old was full-sized, they would destroy the world. You know, and we've only got, Dr. Dobson, you say we only have like 18 years. They're like born total barbarians themselves, that they're, they're savages. They know nothing of our culture or our language. And we only have like 18 years to calm and to tame that beast before we unleash him on society. Uh, obviously, some people aren't doing too good a job of that today. But anyway... Um, you can see how that, uh, even as babies, we, that, that kind of thing happens. But they want to mind, and then they want to do things themselves. It's when they get to be teenagers, they regress and want you to do everything for them, right? But initially, you remember when that teenager wanted to do it. I can do it by myself. I can do it by myself. And they try to do things that they really can't do, and they get themselves in trouble, right? But that's the way we are because of our human nature. We want to try to do our salvation by ourselves. You can't do it. Gospel says you can't do it. 
It is the power of God. Gospel is not a self-help message. In fact, its message is it reveals that you are powerless to save yourself. But then it reveals the unlimited power of an unlimited, all-powerful God that is able to save us. And the word power, it is the power of God. I want to remind you again, it's the Greek word dunamis. We get the word English word dynamite from that, right? It's a powerful word. Uh, Paul declares later on in, Ro- in Romans 5, 6, he says, When we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. I, that's me. I was without strength. I couldn't save myself. And in that, he died for me, the ungodly. I'm so glad to hear that. That is good news. So the origin of the gospel, the operation of the gospel, it is the power of God. And the outcome of the gospel, it is the power of God for what? For salvation. For salvation. It is salvation. And that's my greatest need, is salvation. That's the greatest need that I have. You might think about a lot of things on your list and a lot of things that you need, but the greatest need any of us have is salvation. Salvation from ourselves. Salvation from sin. Salvation from eternal separation from God. Salvation from this corrupt world that is eventually going to begin to unravel itself and Christ is going to come back. We're not going to succeed in destroying the planet, by the way, right? I mean, if you read in the book, you know how it happens. That at some point, God himself's going to do it. There is a judgment day coming. There is coming a time that every single one of us are going to have to stand before this God. You can say you don't believe in him. You can run from him. You can try to hide from him. But the truth is you're going to stand before him someday. And when we stand before him on that day, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, because of what he's done in me. Instead of depart from me, I never knew you. Those are really the only two options the scripture ever prevent, presents, by the way. One or the other. A lot of people are like, well, I'm undecided. No, the undecided means you have decided. So the outcome of the gospel is for salvation. Now that word salvation, you know what it means? It means deliverance. Deliverance. We need to be delivered from bondage, delivered from all the bad, and delivered unto all the good. Some people like, don't like that term. They say, well, that's outdated. But I think it's a glorious term. Uh, salvation is God's term. And there's no better one to describe what he offers fallen, lost, sinful mankind through the sacrifice of his son than salvation. Deliverance. It is the outcome. So that's the purpose of the gospel, the origin of the gospel, um, and the operation of the gospel by the power of God. The outcome of the gospel unto salvation And then the outreach of the gospel. You see it right here in this verse. It says, for everyone who believes, everyone who believes is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. True servants of God understand that this message is for everyone. Everyone. And we need this because in the next verse he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. There's no way I could be delivered from my sin except Christ paid for it. That's good news. But the other part of the good, wait, it gets better. Is that not only did he pay for my sin and wipe away my sin and my failure and my wickedness and my selfishness, my imperfection, all that that goes all with that. But he also deposits into my account his righteousness. Because God himself actually invaded the planet. 
God himself was born fully God, but fully human in the flesh. And in the flesh as a human, kept God's rules, God's law perfectly. He fulfilled it all. The Bible says at our best, our righteousness, Isaiah told us, is like filthy rags. But Jesus was perfect. He took my sin and paid for it, and he offers me his righteousness. Paul talks a lot about this when he gets to chapter 4 of Romans. The righteousness of God is revealed. You're never going to get right. You're never going to be right until you receive the righteousness from God himself. Isn't that amazing? I could never attain this. I could never get to this. But God himself, what he requires, perfection and righteousness, what he requires of us, none of us have. But what he requires of us, he himself has provided for us. How do we receive it? By faith, by trusting him, by relying on him, by admitting to him that we need it. It's revealed from faith to faith. Faith is the beginning. Faith is the end. Other people who have had faith have helped me understand it. And I want to help others. That's, that, that phrase is so rich. It's kind of like a figure of speech for them. It's kind of hard to put into our thought pattern. But from faith to faith, the righteousness of God is revealed. And then he quotes from Habakkuk in the Old Testament, showing this was always God's plan. The just or the righteous shall live by faith. There's no other way. Just trying to do better, trying to be better, just being religious and trying to keep rules, isn't going to make you perfect. Trust in Christ. That's where the righteousness of God is revealed that comes into your heart and into your life. This message he knew is for everyone who believes. He said back in verse 16, and to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That just means the Jew got the message first. They already had the word of God, and it was among them this happened. But also that means everybody else. Who believes? That's the believe. That's that same word. That's that word faith. That that is the same Greek root word that's translated faith. It's more than just mental assent. It's more than just to agreeing to facts. It involves the deepest trust and reliance. And it is only by faith that we receive this gift of the gospel. That's how we receive it. I mean, he did it all. He paid it all. But how do you receive the gift that he paid for? By faith, by trusting him. It's the only way. Oh, the gospel. We've got to hold fast, okay? All right, you ready to move on? Hold fast to the word of God. Hold fast to this truth. And then the next thing is we need to remember is to remember it's God's power, not human means. Did you catch it where he said that it is the power of God for salvation? It is the power. I'm glad. I'm glad that it is the power of God because If I'm going to be delivered, it's going to take the power of God. How about you? We could never do it by ourselves. All the things we're trying to do, all the things we're trying to accomplish in our life, it's not just the gospel brings me up to par and kind of washes my slate clean before God and he forgives me and then I'm kind of like, do the best you can, just work hard, just drive. You know, it's still his power. It's still his power. In fact, way back, Zechariah also reminded us this, that in Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. That's the power. By my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's his presence, amen, working in us. And that same word for power that's used in Romans chapter 1 is the same word that's used in Acts 1, 8, where he says you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what are you going to do? Be witnesses. 
be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost, the uttermost parts of the world. And he is able, uh, it tells us in the scripture, to save to the uttermost those who believe. And I'm glad that we can say God can save us from the guttermost to the uttermost. Amen. Uh, but to the, even the every nook and cranny of the world. And this is a work that has to be done in our lives. This is a work that happens, it starts in me. And it seems like a lot of Christians want the world to change. They want the nation to change. It's just that we don't want us to change too much in some of the things we need to change. It starts here. It starts here. And how we influence, even though there's social media, even though there's... Wayne, did you know they got satellite TV now? I'm kidding. I'm kidding you. You heard about that? Yeah. Uh, and, and all of this, even though we have all this stuff uh, that, uh, and by the way, I pick on him when I get a chance because you don't see what happens later. Okay. But uh, anyway, he'll get, he'll, he'll fix me up. Good. Um, but uh, even though we have all these means, the most effective way is our lives touching other lives. And people want, you know, people want to see if we're for real, people want to know that, they, you know, it's been said, they don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. You know, and the fact is, we've got, we've got a mess in our county. We've got a drug problem that is rampant. And what comes along with that is ruined lives, broken homes. We've got kids that are growing up in homes, and because of this situation, many of them have been taken out of their homes. And, and thank God for those of you who, who feel called and are responding to that ministry to be foster parents and to help out. But then there are kids that are in places where the parents just aren't able to take care of them because of the drug habit. And, and they're growing up, they're basically raising themselves, they're just learning to be survivors. They're not learning morals, they're not learning even good hygiene, some of them. Some aren't learning how to even brush their teeth. There's this thing that's happening all around us. And, and we just keep, it just keeps perpetuating itself. You know, at some point, at some point, some people have got to get involved and touch some of those lives and help make a difference. You know what I'm saying? Because we were talking last week, and we were talking at, at the drug task force that's in this area, how that, you know, even some of the ones that like, you know, I'm ready to change, I want to change. Um, but, you know, they have no car, they have no job, they have no money. How are they going to get to the job when they get hired? Some, somebody's got to help somewhere. You don't want to create dependency, but at some point give someone a boost so that then they can get there. And then what I love is to see that happen and to see that happen and see somebody get there and to get their life straight up, to get off paper, to get their family back together, to get their kids back. And then and then and then you see them going and helping others do the same. I mean, is it very possible that the power of the gospel could so work in us and through us that we begin to touch lives around this community so that it begins to turn things the other direction? direction are we just expecting things to get worse and worse and worse and there'll be more and more crime are we just expecting that is it not possible that we could turn that completely around if the church was just willing to roll up the sleeves and to get our hands dirty and to be salt and to be light in the world around us that's the gospel oh wow i'm gonna say something that may sound very offensive i said it years ago and there were some people got offended but i'm just telling you this is truth we may have had a few people decide they wanted, didn't want to worship here anymore just because I said something like this. But as a community of believers, we've got to be willing to touch all of those that are around us. And I've always felt like this. You know, our local churches, we've got a lot of good local churches in our county, in our area. They're great churches for Christians. But we're not impacting the lost like we really should. 
And we've got to pray about that. We've got to do something about that. Because God's heart is for all people, to everyone who believes. And um, the problem in a small town is, is all of a sudden we start trying to reach everyone. There may be somebody who is down and out and they're responding to the gospel and they're going to come in here and it's going to be somebody that you've had issues with in the past. It might be somebody who's wronged you in the past. Now you're going to have another issue and that's forgiving them. They may not, they may not know the Lord yet. It may be somebody that broke into your house. It may be that that new couple that started showing up was the guy who broke up with you in high school and you were engaged and broke your heart and you've had bad feelings toward him ever since and now I'm going to sit in church and worship with him? That kind of thing happens in small town all the time, right? Or, or there's that person that got that job that I was better qualified for but because they knew someone and they pulled some strings, they got it. This is constantly going to happen in a small town. We've got to learn to be bigger than that. We've got to have a better focus than that. Our focus needs to be the gospel. And, uh, and, and the thing that I said that was so offensive is that, you know, maybe we should just put on our church sign, everyone welcome. We want to say that, don't we? Everyone's welcome. We want to reach everyone. But if we're totally honest, maybe before, b- 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 underneath that, we should put in smaller print, if you're like us. And if we like you. And then maybe below that, we should just put everybody else can just go to hell. That sounds offensive, I know. But that's what's at stake, folks. That's what it is. If there's some people we don't want to reach, that's what we're saying. I mean, the thing about it is I have some friends who, who aren't believers. And, and, and uh, you know, they don't know whether there's a God or not. But they know enough to know that if I really believe it, and if I really believe their soul's at stake, that at least I ought to care if I really say they're important to me. Not pound them over the head with my Bible and harass them, but to be a light. And I feel like God's trying to draw people to himself. I don't want to get in the way of that. But I'm just saying that one of the big things that he wants us to do with this gospel being our focus is I just feel like not on our own and in our own wisdom, but as God opens doors and leads us, that we need to be, the gospel should be through us. Let me say it that way, making a bigger impact in our lives. Now, none of us are perfect, but that just means other people get to see and hear truth from us, but they also get to see how we deal with it when we mess up and how that we get back up, how we take ownership of it, how we repent and ask God's forgiveness and how we grow because of it. There's so much of this, you know, we were talking about the big mask debate with wearing masks and things during the pandemic, and um, not very popular here, but one pastor said, people have been wearing masks to our church for years, metaphorically speaking, because we try to put on a mask like we're perfect and don't have any problems, you know, and, and, and then, uh, but we're being the fake us and not the real us. We need to be real. Uh, So anyway, we need to rely upon God's power. And when we do that, the gospel is going to come through our lives because it's the only good news. It's the only good news I know of that can cause a sad person to become happy forever. 
It's the only good news I know of that can cause a drunk to become sober, an unfaithful slob to become a committed, faithful, loving husband or wife again. It's the only good news I know of that can empower a person and transform every part of their life. It empowers someone who has been hurt to be able to forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. It can uh, also cause someone who has been hated to return true love in exchange for that hate and cause someone who has been in bondage to be set free. It is good news that causes someone who's depressed to be filled with hope and life again. It can cause someone who is addicted to drugs to throw them down because they found a better high. It causes a fulfillment in their life. It causes someone who suffered a terrible loss and tragedy to be able at some point to smile again and say, I am rich and I know I have everything. It's the only good news I know of that can give us joy and peace no matter what the circumstances are around us, no matter what has been taken away from us, no matter how we may be mistreated or persecuted. The world or the devil may try to take away everything we have, but I'm going to tell you folks, they cannot take Christ out of our hearts. They cannot take the gospel out of our lives. And so they can't take away our eternal riches that we will inherit in Christ. They can't cancel my, revela- my reservation excuse me, in glory. They can't do it. And so God's power. All right. Even more quickly now. God's kingdom, not our agenda. I've already kind of gotten on this. It's God's kingdom. We need to remember this as we keep our focus on the gospel. He, did he not teach us to pray his kingdom come? His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about his kingdom. And right now he rules and reigns in our heart. But there is coming a day that all nations of the world are going to bow before him. And every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. I'm telling you the kingdom is coming. But is it happening in your heart, in your life? That's what we're here for. That's what we're to be about. I want to tell you. David Platt reminded us that we a lot of times as American Christians confuse the American dream with the kingdom of God. We do. It's not about that. The United States government is not the kingdom of God. Being a part of the kingdom of God is about being part of the body of Christ that spans all time, cultures, languages, and colors. It's about Christ ruling and reigning in our hearts. It's about our pleasing him and serving him. It's about our impacting the world with the light of his love and shining the light of his good news into the very darkest corners of our society, of our towns, our county, our nation, our world. Shining the light. Light always overcomes darkness. Right? We've used that illustration so many times. You have light, you open a door to a dark room, light shines in. You, the dark don't, doesn't come in, light penetrates the darkness. Listen, that's what we're supposed to be doing as we're just living and letting the gospel come through us. Now, the pandemic that we've been through, or going through, and I don't know how long it is for things, but you know, people say things are going to be back to, we're going to have a new normal, but I, there's a lot of possibilities running through my head of what could happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I don't know, you know, I just want to, I just, I just want to keep my focus on the gospel. But it's made some things more difficult, especially meeting together for worship. It has. But God's presence doesn't re- reside in this building, folks. This isn't the Old Testament tabernacle. God has always intended, even in the Old Testament and New Testament, it's important for his people to come together, to be equipped, to be challenged, to be encouraged, using the spiritual gifts. I don't have but just very few. I need what God does through your life. We're part of a body. 
We need that. But I want to tell you, uh, there was a time in the Old Testament. You remember when the glory of God, the presence of God filled the tabernacle when they first put it together? And it's like Moses and none of them could even go into it because the presence of God was so great. They were basically shut out of it. But I want to tell you, in the day that we live, the presence of God dwells inside of us. Can't nobody shut that out but you. He's dwelling in us. So we've got to get better at connecting. We've got to get better at staying in touch with each other. We've got to get better. And part of it is the pandemic hasn't just put fear in people's hearts. It's caused us a lot just to be lazy and just not be engaged and make an impact. Uh, God did design it that we come together as best we can and finding creative ways to do that. The church has always done that. The church in other places in the world have had to do this for 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 thousands or for hundreds of years, maybe thousands, you know, be innovative and find ways to impact people with the gospel. Find ways to minister to one another. Find ways to help deci- people become better disciples. Uh, find ways to 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 teach and to train and equip. All of that. Um. But here's the other flip side of that. So everything is kind of back the way it was. You still can't worship God here very well if you haven't worshipped at all on your own during the week. See, that's the thing is worship is not something you come here to get. Worship is something you give. And what happens is so dynamic is when you and I have been in our own walk with God, our own relationship with God, in our own worship of God, in our own time in prayer with our, by ourselves and with our families, and when we come together and we bring all that together, it ought to be powerful. It ought to be powerful when we come together. But if you haven't been worshiping by yourself and with your family during the week, it's probably not going to happen too well here. Because worship is something you give. And my question is, when we get done on Sunday morning, isn't what did all did you get out of it? But I want to ask sometimes, what did God get out of it? He's always made sure that people understand that one of the special things that God enjoys, Old Testament and New Testament, is when his children come together in mass and we lift up our hearts, our voices, and our praise, our worship, the instruments also. Uh, and as we hear, even pick that banjo to the glory of God. Amen? <laughs> it, to lift all of this up in praise and worship to him, to glorify his holy name. That was even true in the Old Testament. Much more it should be in the New Testament. And if we're not doing this when we come together, then we're confused concerning about what this is all about. We're missing something that's priceless. We're, we're wasting our time and we're robbing God of something He deserves and demands. To too many churches become a Sunday social, spiritual Christian club. And it's not the church of the living God. The point of this is not only to corporately praise and worship Him, but also that you and I, might be encouraged, equipped, and ready to go forth from here and serve. You know, we talk about this a lot, how that we team up with others in the family of God to go out into the world and do the work of God's kingdom. It's kind of like the huddle during the football game. You know, there's a big play. Maybe the clock's running down, and the offense is huddled up. And, and, and uh, you know, they're, they're, but listen, people don't pay hundreds of dollars to go, if you can get in nowadays, and to watch teams huddle. But what they pay for is to see that now that you've huddled and you get on that line of scrimmage and you're facing 11 other guys that are daring you to now go public with your private conversation. (laughs) Right? As if you can get the job done. 
And so as we huddle together, what the interesting thing is, is can we go out there and serve and make a difference and make an impact and live out the things we said amen to while we were here? Now, this is what's going to help us be prepared for that. Without the huddle, the team doesn't know what play to run. But we got to come together. But the most important part then is after we come together, we go and we execute God's game plan in the world around us. So it's easy to be, let me say this, it's easy for me to be excited. It's easy for me to just think all kinds of holy thoughts and, and just be all of that, you know, while we're all here together. But it's another thing <clears throat> on Monday morning or Tuesday afternoon. It's one thing to feel all sanctified in here, but another thing to go to into public and serve notice on a lost world concerning the love of Christ and the gospel of God that redeems souls, gives eternal life, and changes the way we act, think, and live. <sighs> Last thing is this. We need to realize not only to hold fast the word of God, realize it's God's power, not our effort. And um, <clears throat> we also remember that... Um, that it's God's kingdom, God's agenda, not our agenda. We also need to remember this. It's a daily walk of faith, not just a, like a leap of faith. I think a lot of people just like to get to that point where I can take that leap and trust Christ and be saved. That's, that's the first step. That's the beginning step. You know, our life of living by faith that he talks about here, just shall live by faith, isn't a desperate leap. It isn't a desperate leap. Because faith makes sense. It's even logical to put your trust in Christ. It's not taking a blind leap and, okay, I guess I'll believe that. He's given us substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's substance. There's evidence. It's trusting. And it's not a desperate leap. It's a daily walk. Faith is an action word, as it says there. Just like agape love produces and reveals God in our lives, our faith. They're, they're both part of the same. It activates the divine power coming through our lives. Revealed from faith to faith. It's going to, from the, it's the beginning and it's the end. It is, as we have faith, we pass on the faith to others that will pass on the truth of the gospel. So let's take it home. I want to ask, what is your focus? What is my focus? It's easy to say this in here, but when we get home, what's the goal? Can we point to specific things that we know God wants to do in our private lives? We know because of what the Word of God says God wants to do in my family. Can I point to some specific things God wants to do through me? I mean, if I can't, then I, might, I won't be persistent. And persistence is necessary if anything worthwhile is going to happen through our lives. I'll just have good thoughts. and I'll be quick to criticize people who do or say things differently than what I would want them to do. But what's coming through my life? I've got to have that persistence. I've got to have motivation. Am I really focused on the gospel? And is it the gospel motivating me? Is it the fact that Christ died for the sins of the world motivating me? I'm convinced that this statement is true. Often discipline is not the problem. It's motivation. 
illustration was given, like if you've got kids and you have trouble getting them disciplined to get up and get ready for school and they drag around every day and it's a battle, notice how different it is on the day that there's a school picnic or a field trip to some place they want to go. Man, they are up and they are ready. The difference is they had motivation. And so that's our problem. The reason we're not disciplined is we're not motivated. They're different sides of the same coin. I've got to be motivated to let the gospel come through me and impact. That's all Paul wanted. If you read that passage, he said, I've wanted to come to you to impart some spiritual gift. If you have callings and you know what God wants to do through your life, you have a yearning, a desire to go do it. And he said, and I'll also be impacted by you. Notice this that's up there is also true. You don't just drift toward God. This isn't just going to somehow happen this year. 2021 might be the year date that's on my tombstone. I might not go through it. He may call me home. Or 2021 might be the year that Christ comes back and splits the eastern sky. You won't drift toward God. You won't just drift toward You always drift away from God. If it's going to happen that we're going to fulfill the purpose he has toward us, we have to be intentional. We have to make up our mind and be motivated by the gospel of God. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word.